Hi, welcome back to one of the last episodes of the year of the She Built This podcast. No surprise, of course, but today I have another wonderful treat in store for you. I'm interviewing Bonnie Wan. Bonnie is the author of the book, The Life Brief. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to get really clear on living a life of meaning, fulfillment, uh, no regrets, if you will, and joy. And one thing you should know about me is that I am a huge fan of reflecting. I love looking back at threads and patterns and stories and reviewing and pulling out lessons and tidbits from it all. And while I do do some version of reflection at the end of every single year, this year, 2023 is the time I'm recording this, this year specifically feels to me like a pivotal one. There was a lot of change, there was a lot of learning, there was a lot of highs and lows, and uh, it was big stuff. And I felt the urge, the, the desire to get a little bit more quiet than usual and go a little deeper in how I was kind of looking at everything in my life. My question to myself, um, which I do ask at the end of every year, but it can often be a little bit surface level. And I always ask myself, you know, for the coming year, what do you want this year? Now, that may sound really big and really lovely and grandiose, but what it's translated as in my mind is, what are we going to accomplish this year, Emily? What are we going to do? And so this year, as I was sitting down to kind of do some of my reflecting, um, like I said, it's 2023 when I'm recording this. And this year, I recognize this desire in myself to say like, no, stop, hold the phone. We're not just going to stop there at what What do we want to do, right? What do we want to accomplish? What do we want to achieve? I'm asking a little bit of a different question. And that is, what am I doing here? Like, what do I really, really want at my core, at the core of my being. So it was that sort of inkling, those kind of questions that led me to this conversation with Bonnie today and also picking up her book, The Life Brief. Now, what I loved about this book is, and I mentioned this in our interview, is the new journaling prompts that she gives. Look, I'm a longtime journaler. I have been there. I have done that. And I really enjoyed the way that Bonnie's sort of calling us, nudging us, like it's almost like this sort of more quiet, gentle experience to just come a little closer with some some questions that can actually end up being quite intense, um, but some questions that I just haven't had the chance to sit down and ask myself before because I've quite frankly never thought of them. I also loved the sparks of hidden gems that you find about yourself and then like watching as actually, oh wait, these aren't just little gems. This is an entire treasure chest here. This isn't just a little gem. This is actually the guiding light of my life. So that was one thing I really, really enjoyed in reading it. And there's almost, if I had to say, at the, at the end of the reading the book, I kind of realized that there's almost no problem to solve anymore. Like, I'm always focusing on my life as like the some sort of problem I need to solve. Uh, it's either this or it's either that, right? But there's almost no problem to solve anymore. It's more of just like, oh, now I have the clarity on which direction to go. So 
As I share in our conversation, I came up with a couple of different versions of what we talked about, which is that life brief. And I came up with a few different kind of variations of it. I haven't quite settled on how I wanted to distill it down yet. Um, I actually would like to keep on working on this through these last few weeks of the year. And what I want to do with my life brief is use it for myself as a focus point for the coming year. So imagine this. It's not just like a word of the year, right? It's like you actually have a creative brief for your year. And that sounds really fun and really, really exciting to me. So I did want to share with you, though, some of the things that have jumped out at me. Like this is a super rough draft. And just for context, if this is your first time listening, I'm Emily Aborn. I'm the host of this podcast. In addition to being host of the show and the Content with Character podcast, I'm also a content copywriter. That's my work. So this life brief that I sort of came up with, it relates to that work and how I want to bring that out in the coming year. But realistically, when I look at it, when I think about it, I think that it could really apply to my entire life. So here's what I came up with. And again, you're hearing like the super raw, roughed draft version of this. Um, But here goes. I am a talented and creative being and ready to unlock the potential inside me. I choose to express and connect deeply without restraint. I'm ready to lean into the next chapter and let loose on the full potential of aliveness. So stay tuned because uh, my goal, my desire would be to get this down to just three words and, you know, maybe I'll share them with you, maybe not. But in the meantime... I hope that you'll feel inspired and excited by my conversation with Bonnie and definitely pick up a copy of her book and try writing your own life brief. It could be fun. It could be fun. Um, So let me just tell you a little bit about Bonnie. And then as I always say, without further ado, we'll get into the interview. Bonnie is an Bonnie Wan is an author and speaker as well as partner and head of brand strategy at the world renowned advertising agency Goodby, Silverstein, and Partners. As creator of The Life Brief, Bonnie helps people live with greater clarity, creativity, and courage by teaching them how to write creative briefs for their lives. The Life Brief has evolved from a short-form biography agency talk into a workbook, workshops, and speaking appearances at Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop, Jane Goodall's Activating Hope Summit, The 3% Conference, South by Southwest, Apple, Accenture, Change.org, and more. Some of my favorite quotes from our chat together were, uh, these ones are Bonnie's, chase your goosebumps, where are you hiding, actions are the byproduct of clarity, and then she also shared a Richard Housden quote, writing is like rearranging the furniture of your mind, and all of those will be in the show notes as well as links to connect with Bonnie, so make sure you do, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hi, Bonnie, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Hi, Emily. It is so fun to be here. Thank you for having me. This is what I love about the podcasting community is the way that I found you. So I actually put a call out to find like my last three guests of 2023. And I was like, they need to be very, you know, bring something new to the table and be dynamic. And one one of them I chose through a podcast group that I'm in. Um, And the other one, your name, 
<laughs> came up through my friend Alicia, who I believe the way that she knew about you is because one of her clients had you on her, her, their show. And then I heard your story while I was actually doing a yoga class downstairs in my, in front of my television. And I was like, I have to have Bonnie on my show, read your book. Here we are. <laughs> wow. I love that serendipitous chain of events. So thank you, Alicia. Thank you to her client. Um, I love how the world works in those ways. And the other fun thing about it is like, you just never like as a creator, whoever you are, um, we don't know how we're impacting the life of somebody else or who is listening to us and when, or what that chain of events looks like that brings us to any next opportunity. So, um, I just thought we would weave that in, but I want to ask what on earth is a life brief? Oh my gosh. Before we dive in, I just want to say, thank you for calling me a creator. I have been, um, a lifelong strategist. So I work in an advertising agency. I've been at the same agency for 25 years as a strategist, and, I, and I'm now the head of brand strategy. And um, creators are typically those in the creative department in our in, in our world. So the fact that you just included me and called me a creator makes my heart sing. So thank Aww. you for doing that. We are, I think as human beings, we all are creators. And in, in I believe way. that too. Yeah. But you know, um, there's this job title thing, I think yeah. that happens <laughs> in my industry. But I, I think that speaks to what is your question, what is the life brief? So as a strategist in a creative industry, the thing that I produce, I don't make the ads. I don't write the copy. I don't shoot, you know, the film record the radio. But uh, what we do it, as strategists is we create something called the creative brief, which is a really sharp distillation of what a brand stands for and what their ambition is expressed in a super motivating, juicy way that makes all creative people, ideators, makers, um, innovators, first with ideas. So that's a creative brief. And the life brief is a creative brief for your life. It distills into really sharp, juicy, energizing, activating terms, what matters most to you and what you want in that part of your life. So tell us about the story that brought you into uh, writing your book, The Life Brief, and like sort of how you decided to take this concept of what you're doing in your work to the the personal realm and the, the creative realm. Well, yeah. it's all creative, but yeah. Yeah. Well, it happened kind of by happenstance. Uh, it was 2010 and I had three kids under the age of five. I have four kids now. Um, so this is kind of still mid in my parenting journey. Um, and it was really dark. My marriage was really dark. Um, it looked great on social media. Um, it looked great on paper. My career was taking off. We lived in a beautiful, um, our first home at the edges of wine country in, uh, Northern California. Um, I was married to a just soulful loving man, but we were in it deep. Um, I was traveling all the time, commuting for work. I didn't know which way was up. We were fighting, debating, arguing, negotiating our schedules all the time. 
I don't think my husband was raised to be equipped to be um, a parent, not like in the way that women, you know, tend to be ingrained, even without thinking about it. Our culture ingrains us to be maternal, you know, to think about these things. And so there was a bit of a deer in the headlights situation for my husband. And then I was also really at that time controlling, you know, I needed things to be done right because when you're insecure as a new mom, you know, um, so much feeds your insecurities about, you know, are you raising your children the right way? Are you being there? Are you being the perfect ideal mom that you imagined when you stepped into that role? And none of that was coming together. And, um, you know, I, I was in the grocery store parking lot one day and it was just raining, pounding rain. I called one of my dear friends and I voiced the dangerous questions. Am I with the right person? Did I marry the right person? Is this my partner? Oh my God, we've created a big life. Ah, can I hold this together? What if the answer is no? What do I do then? And once spoken, I couldn't put the genie back in the bottle. But none of the answers came in the parking lot of the grocery store. Um, life went on. And then just a few weeks later, I was on a business trip. And I was really bottomed out emotionally. I, I, it was kind of that crisis of meaning, crisis of despair. And at my lowest point, I was at my mom's house. I'd come home late. Um, I couldn't sleep. It was all stirring. And I was in my childhood bedroom of all places. It oh, just no. was really emotional. <laughs> Everything was coming up. And I, I did what I do for my clients as a reflex. I Because what I do for clients as a strategist is I make meaning out of messiness. I listen to all the competitive angst and um, their financial situation, who are their customers. And, you know, it's a jumble. And as a strategist, what I'm always listening for is what's at the heart mm. of everything? What is at the essence of why this company exists? What makes them unique, special? What do they want? How do they envision their future? And so there was some lightning moment of clarity and serendipity. I recognized the messy feeling. It was dark and messy is a light word for it. And all of my instincts were the repetitive theme in my mind was I got to get out of this marriage. I didn't, I didn't choose the right person. We can't do this. But then when I, my strategist took over, something else happened. I started writing down because that's what I do as a strategist. I take notes. I'm looking at research. I'm studying it all. And something changes our brain. I call it, um, I have a beautiful friend who is a poet, Roger Housden. He says, writing rearranges the furniture of our minds. And it does because our minds can be really permissive. They're loose. They're vague. One thought comes in and emotion over supersedes it. And then another thought comes in and you've lost your way all of a sudden. And it likes to repeat things. It's like, like a theater. But when you write, you have to commit in words. 
words come stumbling out on the page and then you can be in relationship with them Mm. because when you reread them, they call up more honesty, more feelings, more questions. And so I did this that night and out vomited my first life brief, which was a really clear distillation of what I wanted not what my husband wanted, not what I thought my parents were hoping for or what my children needed, but what I wanted in this really despairing moment. And when I looked down at what I had vomited out, it had nothing to do with my husband being the problem. What I realized was, oh, I have a problem with my relationship with time. I was spending my time in all the wrong ways. And that was the first glimmer of hope. And when I sent him the brief, I I shot it over to him by email. He immediately texted back, Y-E-S, all caps, triple exclamation. And after months, maybe a year and a half of fighting, that was our first glimmer of hope. And that's how it started. That must have felt so good for both of you to have that moment. So I guess I'm curious to know, like once you have that kind of experience and you get that level of clarity, how do you start taking the next step to change your time? Because I think a lot of listeners can identify with, I'm not using my time in the right ways to get to the life that I want to live. So what did you start doing to take those steps back to I guess I want to say sanity. Yeah. Re, re, reclaiming your life. Well, here's the magic of clarity is when you get clear, your attention automatically shifts. So I find this in my professional life, right? When I write a really fuck yes, juicy creative brief, the creatives can think of nothing else. They want to solve that. They want to create the most exciting, energizing idea that fulfills that brief. And it's the same thing with the life brief. Once you get to that, fuck yes, clarity, this is what we need. We need to take our time, take our time back, reorganize, reimagine how we spend our time with each other, for ourselves, for our kids. Suddenly, the actions just follow. I say actions are a byproduct of clarity. But if you don't have clarity, if you're steeped in confusion or complexity, all your actions are your actions are all over the place, right? And there's a lot of regret, like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? But when you have clarity and that excitement that comes from the invigorating expression of that clarity, Suddenly you see everything differently. Oh, you get an invitation. No. And for me, instead of being on social media all the time or doom scrolling the news, I started just following my curiosity. Like what's a great place that we can live where we can attend public schools. We can put all three kids in public schools so that that financial anxiety we can lower. Um, I stopped saying yes, just because I wanted to help everyone around me. I took back my time and he did it in his own ways. He reshaped his, the way he spent his time without me even knowing 
It was just that clear for us that we needed to change those things. And four months later, we found ourselves moving to Portland, Oregon, where we started a whole new life. Everything we needed was within one block radius. So there was no getting kids, little kids in the car. I mean, that was just so time sucking and energy draining. Um, Their school was one block away. The coffee shop was another block away. The pizza parlor, the cupcake store, the grocery store was one block away. So suddenly, instead of getting in the car in California, for every little thing, we were walking everywhere together. And um, my agency gave me the beautiful surprise and serendipity of remote work. And this was in 2010, before, long before remote work was even at the tip of our tongues. And so I had a four-day work week. My commute was up the stairs. I could walk my kids to school with my husband and then walk home with a cup of coffee, run upstairs, start my next meeting. And I had this blended, we had a blended life where I could take someone to the doctor's office in the middle of the day. You know, I had Fridays off um, and I did commute to San Francisco two days a week, but that meant I was home five days a week. And on the outside, people thought, oh, that's so hard. You have to commute to San Francisco. And I said, no, it's so beautiful because I'm so focused when I'm in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I do all my meetings. I connect, I have meals with people uninterrupted. And then I come home and I'm always here for my children. So it was, was really beautiful. I was going to say, even like just talking to you, um, I think that time goes hand in hand for you with presence, which is like such a huge gift that you can give every single person in your life and also yourself and also anything that you're pursuing at that time. Um, so I love that. And I, I find it hard to imagine you being like a very scattered <laughs> type A controlling time crunched person because you are so present and calm. And like, I can feel you here in this time container that we've created. So thank um, you. That's the greatest compliment, Emily, really. So one of the activities you, you mentioned it, that you, this was kind of like where you started. And I'm a big fan of this too but I had never done it in the way that your book invited me to do it. And that is the brain dump. <laughs> Some people hear me say that and they're like, that sounds disgusting. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> you have to do it. It's so fun. So talk to me about what you define a, like a brain dump as and really what it can help us with. Because I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling of like, I don't even know what the problem is. It just feels like everything is swirling around me and like, falling down. Yes. Um, thank you for that question. Uh, I, I used to call it the daily dump. And then people said that you, you might want to <laughs> just include the brain part in it. Like, yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, it, it, what we were talking about a couple things, right? Time is about spaciousness. It's not real time as a construct for me. I can't be present if I don't have the spaciousness yeah. within myself. And so the daily brain dump is just five minutes, 10 minutes. If you can eke it out, I find I always start with a timer with five minutes 
Um, but I go so much longer <laughs> over after the buzzer goes off. And, and it is just a daily allowance, freedom to write whatever is on your mind to get it out and onto the page. So it's no planning involved. There's no withholding, editing, or judging. And that is the foundational practice to the life brief because the life brief is really a practice in connecting to your own voice, your own truth, and allowing yourself the permission to stop listening to the other voices in your life and tune into your own. And at first it's hard. And so we need to extract everything. And the daily brain dump creates the spaciousness so that you can hear yourself. Our minds, when they're crowded, right? Um, with all the limiting stories, the self-criticism, the inner perfectionist, um, or just holding, it's a holding tank. Mm -hmm. For all the repetitive stories and themes or to-do lists. And, and once we get them out and park them on the page, two things happen. We create spaciousness. We know they're captured so we can always return to them. And now we have space and room for insights and ideas and new possibilities to emerge. The second thing is once captured, you can be in relationship with it. And if you've done 14 daily brain dumps for five minutes, you've captured the ingredients, you can look through them and some patterns will emerge. You'll notice some things because you've captured them, because you've given yourself permission to be free. It's a private practice. Allow anything and everything to come out onto the page. And when you look back at it, you start to notice insights or patterns or ahas that you might not have noticed before. And that's the messiness, right? It's the collection of your ingredients, your own messiness. And we can't get to clarity unless we are looking at that mess with curiosity, with a beginner's mind, through stranger's eyes, less attached emotionally. And then we start to see, oh, look at that. I have an issue with time. <laughs> or recently for me, I think I, I noticed, oh, I'm afraid to be too big. And I was able to trace that back I, to high school you know I really yeah I love the concept of doing it every day to see the patterns so because I'm really familiar with doing like a like a once in a while one when I'm feeling overwhelmed or when like you know I'm trying to go through a conversation either before it's happened or after it's happened so I might like brain dump that but I really like the concept of doing giving yourself that time every single day to a see those patterns and b kind of get like your own little daily brief. Like you're sort yeah. of creating, like, here's what I want to bring to life today. Here's what I, here's what matters to me today. So I sort of love that. It is a mini version of what you're, what you already do. It's true. And I love that phrase. It rearranges the furniture of our minds. I love that too. Yeah. I think I've heard that quote before, and I'm definitely going to include that in the show notes. Um, 
All right. So once you kind of have like this dump and these patterns, how do you think we really like figure out what I want? What matters to me? Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. Well, once you have the ingredients, it becomes almost like an art project, you know, um, you get to sort them. And so I ask people, what are the patterns that you notice? What are the insights? If you looked at all the collection of your ingredients through a stranger's eyes, so someone who doesn't know you, what would they notice about you? What would they say is coming up through the writing? And then it's another opportunity to say, okay, what did you suppress? What did you hold back? Where did you still continue to hide? Can you get that out? Because again, this is a practice of allowing your truth to come out without judgment. And once you have the ingredients, now you have things to sort. And I usually ask people to sort them into three buckets. What are the non-negotiables, the must-haves that, oh my God, I would die if I, if I didn't have this, you know, um, and then what's the nice to haves? what might be situational or circumstantial. So a lot of desire for it. I want that, but at the end of the day, it's not that important. And then what can you leave behind altogether? Mm -hmm. What's the noise, the drama, the distractions. And there's a lot of that. And once you can sort that, now you can take the must-have, the non-negotiable, the sacred bucket, and that becomes the clay for your clarity. Okay, here's a question that pops through my mind, and I imagine for lots of people listening, this pops through theirs too. This sounds so selfish. Ah, yeah. yeah. Is this a selfish act? <laughs> it is very self-centered. And I mean that exactly as the words speak. It is centered in yourself. Now, I am Chinese, Chinese American. Um, I immigrated here when I was six. And my culture is society first, family first, you last. I'm also a woman. And we are taught, oh, no, we do not ask what we want. We're here to serve what others need. And uh, my first retreat in Costa Rica First day, one of the attendees said, uh, my parents told me never to ask for what I want because oh I will goodness. always be disappointed. So yeah, it's a forbidden and dangerous question. Yet in the 14 years that I have been asking it of myself and everyone around me and all the people who have taken my workshops or listened to my talks is that when you really peel it back, I'm not asking you, what are you in the mood for? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for, you know, Hanukkah or birthday or whatever? Um, when you really peel it, que the question back to in your heart of hearts, what do you really, really want, Emily, that maybe you haven't allowed yourself to admit yet. When you peel it down to that layer, the answers that come are 
I want connection. I want big time sensuality. I want to do big work or I want to step off this treadmill and get out of the hustle. You know, the answers are so unimaginably rich yeah, and so deeply human. So if that's what it means to be self-centered, sign me up. Yeah, it, because, and I think, you know, I think this has been said in many different ways, but really when we show up for ourselves, like you, like we talked about with the time and the presence, like when you are showing up for yourself in that way, you are able to engage with everybody else in your life with that same love, that same drive. And that, like I said, like that is a gift. It is a gift to yourself. So sure. It's selfish. If we want to look at it that way, it's also a gift to other people. So exactly. um, Yeah. You said the word connection. That is one that kept popping up for me. Um, there were a couple, but like connection is one of the things that really just keeps on coming through the entire time I was journaling my way through your book. And that is one thing I really love was all the different, like I've done a lot of journaling in my life and you did it in a really unique way. Like it made it very fun. It made it very, uh, different. The prompts were different. So my brain went different places than it usually does. Um, and I was able to see new, like like, like you said, like threads and patterns rather than just like, dear diary, this is what happened today. <laughs> Cause I have no, I couldn't do through. that kind yeah. of journaling either. <laughs> I mean, I have notebooks going back to when I was like 16 years old, full of that stuff. So that's so awesome to have a chronicle like that <laughs> or scary Bonnie, however you want to <laughs> look at it. Um, all right. So what would your advice be? We talked a little bit about somebody who maybe feels like they're playing small. And you recently said that you kind of struggled with that feeling of like, what if I'm too much? What if I'm too big? What would you say to somebody who is playing small or limiting themselves? And even when they're sitting down and like trying to admit to themselves what they want, I can imagine that there's a little bit of editing going on because of like that woman at your retreat said, like, I don't want to ask for what I want because it won't happen. The second question I'm going to answer first, I call this a practice because it gets easier the more you do it. Hmm. And my intention around it is that it's a lifelong practice. So if you can't do it, yes, if you're still withholding on the first week, that's okay. Be gentle, forgive yourself. But the fact that you show up and keep doing it That's the thing to be proud of, to celebrate, because the more you do it, the more automatic it becomes. And after doing it for 14 years, I don't even have to write to know where my voice is driving me. I know exactly how to drop in in any given moment and know what I want versus what my parents taught me I should want or what, you know, my best friend has been advising me to want it really starts to um, be intuitive and automatic. And so be gentle, keep doing it, and you'll start to sort out your way out of the confusion. You know, and listen, just like a practice, there's going, you're going to meet situations in your life that 
stretch and take you to the next edge of that practice. You know, it's like any practice, yoga, you'll, 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 you'll find a pose that really challenges you, or you'll find a moment in your life that really challenges that pose today. Right. So it's the same thing here. And I always meet new edges where I'm like, Oh, I'm confused again. And so I have to revert back, center back in the practice and journal. And, you know, there is very much in me a thread around don't be too big. Because in high school, you know, well, if we rewound back, I was extremely shy when I immigrated here. And I also faced a lot of belonging issues. You know, people, I was the only really dark brown girl. I had buck teeth and I was um, terrified shy. And then, so any criticism just pushed me back further into the corner, Um, especially racist comments, you know, Um, and it's casual racism of the 1970s, you know, kids being cruel, but they really penetrated. But by high school, I had really decided I was going to really come out and stretch myself in bigger and bigger ways. And there was a point when I got, I felt really big and then it all came down. It was, you know, the high school version of cancel culture that mm. you, you, you hear today. Um, and I think it had a really lasting impact and now I can see how it rears its head, especially with the book launch. There's all these fears that, no, don't be too big. Because if you're going to be too big, people are going to come take you down. You know, and I realize there's been stories in my head that I've maybe even been speaking, but they're not about the people around me. I, I'm surrounded. I'm, I'm so lucky to be surrounded by loving people. But I'm always scanning for that danger especially as I've written a book or especially as I've written articles or I I do more speaking, I realize I'm always looking for the person who wants to take me down so that I can be prepared and get ahead of it. And so when we notice these patterns, um, it's not about just the fact that we are playing small, but understanding where that comes from and what those stories are, then we get to shatter those stories, reframe them, rewrite those stories and And see differently. And I think also recognize that like, let's say your worst case scenario happens, like you still have the resilience and the fortitude and the, the tools to get through. So I think like, you know, I go both ways with preparation because sometimes I do think of the worst case scenario, (laughs) but then I always look at it and I'm like, okay, this is actually, I can use this as a way to, uh, be prepared, know that I have the resources, know that I have the tools, know that I have the skills and then stop letting it like get in my way of stopping me. So that's so beautiful. And it's so human to go to the worst case scenarios, but I love what you said that the, the resilience is built in because you've survived those past worst case scenarios. And that, right. that's the same for me. I love that. Thank you. Um, that's not like my original thought. It's, I do lots of reading and such. So <laughs> you um, can but, own the thought in that moment, <laughs> but I love the reminder not to play small. And I think we all probably can look at our lives and see at least one area 
in which we're doing it. I also love the reminder to come back and say, is this mine? Or is this like a bunch of immature high school kids, immature kindergarten kids for some of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and do I still want to be carrying this thing around? Cause I would guess that you're going to live a much happier, more fulfilling life. If you can start to put some of those things down. Absolutely. Um, all right. So I was curious as to what, like when you're doing a life brief, what parts of your life, like life is a big thing, right? Like we have our work, we have our kids, we have our relationship, we have our friends, we have our community, the list goes on. Life is a big thing. So what with the life brief are all parts of life on the table for examination? Like, could this apply to literally any aspect of your life? I think so. I, I think I have life briefed every part of my life. Um, and I tend to do it when something comes up and grips me when it's gripping me, you know, and what I mean by that is in between meetings, it surfaces when I'm in the shower, it surfaces, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm driving in the car on my way to work, it surfaces. It's always there because it's gripping your mind in some way. And that's usually an indication that, okay, let's, let's brief this out. Um, and penetrating questions tend to unlock the need for a brief. So in the pandemic, my husband, I, I remember distinctly, we were in the kitchen and he said, what is enough? Do we know what enough looks like? And that became the starter question. Oh, for, I love that. For our wealth brief. And it was surprisingly easy for us. And I, I don't think this is the way um, for a lot of couples. Um, but because we'd been doing this practice for over 10 years, it, it, we were able to talk about it really honestly. And money was something that both of us had really deep tattooed limiting stories. You know, I had a father who was an immigrant who always and only measured himself by what he was making. And mm -hmm. that became so consuming and it really debilitated him. And my husband comes from um, a banking family, a local banker. His, that was his dad's career. And so they were very um, careful about money. And so when we talked about what is enough, we were able to answer that and come to alignment tangibly about what that looked like. And prioritize what are we really making? What are we really hustling to make? Yeah. You know, and once that became clear, so much fell off my shoulders. I didn't realize how much I wasn't breathing because there was just this infinite restless striving that was happening. And I think that's the culture we live in right now where success is measured by really antiquated forms, but deeply tattooed in all of us. And once we got tangibly clear about what enough looks like and came to alignment, I was able to relax and say, that is wholly possible. I see that within the realm of possibility. It didn't feel like this constantly moving mountain, you yeah. know, with every peak. And it certainly let go of all the comparison of 
who has what on social media and or our neighbors or you know the other partners at work allowed us to breathe. And then when we asked the next question, which is if we could only be rich in one way, what would that be? And our wealth brief became to be rich in relationships. As a, okay. When you were like sort of deciding that you were going to write this book, I have a question. <laughs> You're like, this is so weird. Did you have other ideas of book? I mean, now I'm sure that you do because once you write one, you probably get addicted and want to write more. Maybe you're even working on one. But at the time, did you have ideas, like multiple ideas for books and you had to like figure out which one you were going to do or you knew this was the book right now? No, in fact, I, I had never even thought about writing a book. Um, I had a really deep limiting story that I'm an orator. I connect to people through speaking and presenting. You can ask anybody at my agency. Bonnie doesn't like to write. And so I had a really tattooed um, story in my head and heart that I am not a writer. I'm an orator. I'm a strategist. I distill things into one word, three words, one sentence. So the invitation to write a book came from somebody else. Somebody introduced me to my agent. We had breakfast and she said at the end of the meal, okay, let's do this. And I said, what? She said, we're going to write the book, the life brief book. And I said, oh, okay. And I did this thing that women do. Uh, I backpedaled and I had to tell her all the reasons why that was not a good idea. I said, one, I'm not a writer. I'm a strategist. She said, I'm not looking for people who have written books before. I'm looking for people who have a lot to say. We can get the book written. Yeah. I said, okay. I said, I have four kids and a really big job. I don't have time to write a book. She said, you can take as long as you want, but we're going to do this. And she removed those excuses right away. So I found myself jumping off the cliff there. And now I will tell you, I am a writer. I love that. I was thinking uh, went specifically around the book. Like it, let's say you did have multiple ideas because I can even see this as a way to help somebody say, which creative idea am I focusing on right now in my life? Also, what am I doing in 2024? Like what's my focus for like, what's my brief for 2024? You could use it every single year as like sort of your new year's brief. I'm curious, I guess, how you use your life briefs, life briefs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is plural. plural. <laughs> it's plural. It's a verb. But let me tell you, just just to answer the question really cleanly, yeah. chase your goosebumps. That's how I say which idea to chase. Because yes, each life brief, if written in that inspirational action driving fuck yes way, mm. right, you're going to have a ton of ideas. The way you choose is chase your goosebumps or your, uh, it, it shows up differently, but it's always physical. Is it goosebumps? Is it fire in your belly? Is it butterflies? What is it for you? You know, and when you do this practice, you really get in touch with, oh, there's that roller coaster feeling. I'm terrified yet excited. And I, it's non-negotiable. That's the idea you chase. It doesn't live in your head. The excitement doesn't purely live in your head. It lives in your body. 
Oh, I love that. You, there's going to be a lot of quotes in the show notes just to <laughs> let everybody know. Um, yeah. So how do you keep yours front and center, tangible, um, guiding you every day? Now, some, some I'm sure you kind of distill it into one word, but when like in the book, let me give context to the listener in the book, you have people write them in like a several sentence kind of format. And I like having that kind of thing as like your guide and your filter. So where do you kind of encourage people to put those throughout their life? Yeah, that's great. So if we were to answer what is a life brief tangibly, tactically, what does it look like, right? It's five up to five, you can have three, two, whatever. But the whole idea of a brief is that it's brief. So up to five declarative statements that start in the present. I am, I choose, I'm ready for. It is not, I hope, I wish, or even I want. This is not a bucket list, a wish list, a to-do list. This is what you want deep in your soul. And declarative meaning you have written those statements where when you read them back to yourself, you feel that fire in your belly. You feel that, yes, that is what I want. Even if I never get it, I have been honest about what I want, right? And then we sum it up in a really short and sticky phrase because I'm in advertising. I know the power of taglines, right? That way you don't ever, it, it calls up the full meaning of your brief without you having to read it. But I do invite people, Take one tiny daily act on your brief mm. every day. And sometimes the tiniest, most irresistible, all you can fit in thing you can do is just to read your brief. And so people have it on their phones. People have it printed. You know, people have it somewhere accessible. And sometimes all they do is read it and get energized with that feeling. So they go into the day or they end the day with that. Okay. That's great. Okay. Obviously people need to get the book and, and read it for themselves and work through it because I really think that there was a lot of power in, and like I said, like, so here's where I'm at in the book. I have not completely like put it into these nice phrases yet because I'm kind of, I'm in the process of like reviewing my year right now. Um, but I have, three versions of this that I feel really, really good about. So I'm going to, I'm like a, like, <laughs> I need to sit down and keep on doing things. Um, but I really want to encourage people like, this is such a good time to do this while you're thinking about what you're going to be creating in the coming year, what you want to create more space for in your life. What thing gives you the goosebumps that you're really going to go after and stop playing small. So, um, I definitely want people to check out the book and what are some other ways that you like to find and connect with people online and, or like support people in workshops and teachings and things like that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so the book was, I wrote the book to be accessible to anyone everywhere anywhere. Um, I also teach retreats and companies bring me in and kick off the year. I did it for Google in 2023. Um, I'm doing something for Lunar New Year for Apple. Um, so a lot of companies bring me in um, and we do a fireside chats or Q&As or I design workshops for them. And it's really engaging because being guided and gifted the space to do it 
is a real up-leveling of the experience altogether. Yeah, I could see that. I want you to like sit down and (laughs) guide my pen for me. (laughs) No, let's do it. Let's do the sounding board. Um, All right. Let us know then how all your links will be in the show notes, but your website and then like maybe your favorite social media platform for people to connect with you on. Well, uh, the website's easy, thelifebrief.com. And there it has links to everything. My favorite thing is that I put out a newsletter and um, I really am diligent about it not being spam, um, not being self-promotional, but as I come up with new prompts and new exercises and really new reflections about how it's showing up in my life and how I'm getting through the tricky, sticky situations, that's what it's for. And that, that has been a really engaging way and people can email me back, you know, we can correspond through that. And then Instagram is really fun because I'm visual. Um, I have to get it down, but Instagram is probably my favorite. Yeah. You and me both. (laughs) Yeah. And that's Um, at living the life brief. Okay. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for being my guest. I sometimes like to ask this question just to make sure we covered everything as you wanted. Uh, is there anything that I did not ask you that you wish I'd asked you? You are an excellent interviewer, by the way, you really do your homework and you're so expressive and engaging. I just want to leave everyone who's listening with this learning or lesson, I guess, that I've gained from this is that we always think we only have two choices in life. Yes or no, stay or leave, Mm -hmm. either or. And it's not true. And I always end my newsletters with live courageously, live creatively. And creative living is allowing yourself to see the range of possibilities that actually exist. I never thought, I thought I had to quit my job to move my family to Portland. And that was not true. I thought that I would have to find the amazing fiery passion of mad love with someone else other than my husband after 17 years, four kids, three moves and a shit ton of responsibilities. And that's not true either. Um, So I just really invite people to tune in to themselves, to create the space, to listen, and then to live from that place of clarity and see all the ways that life will invite you into creative possibility. Thank you so much for that. I love that.